pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank and praise you for your goodness to us and your grace in our lives. We ask you once again to take this service and to help us as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Take your outlines, if you would. And you do have two complete pages, one covered front and back and one with the picture on it. Some of you may remember this from uh, times before when we have gone through dispensation. It's just uh, something that uh, uh, would print it up to... Uh, I kind of want you to see two things if you look at uh, this chart here. One is that basically uh, the idea I'm trying to present down here is uh, in this bottom half of the thing is stair steps. That we are moving closer and closer to the fulfillment uh, of everything that God has prophesied in his word. The second thing I want you to notice is the red line starts uh, at the very beginning here and runs the whole way through. In each dispensation, God has a way of helping us to see and understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God took the animals and he killed them and he uh, made clothing for Adam and Eve. It is the picture of what Jesus did. As he shed his blood on the cross and his blood covers our sins. It's what pays for our sins. The, the Bible word is redemption. And uh, we have so many pictures and types in, in the Bible and uh, one of the reasons why we use a dispensational approach is because it puts all of the pictures and types in order and helps us to see that Noah's Ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. You see, Noah and his family went inside the ark and guess what? They were safe, were they not? When you get saved, one of the most confusing parts of understanding our salvation, uh, that, uh, it's not confusing here at this church, but many people get confused over this term, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Noah's Ark explains perfectly what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit puts you into Jesus Christ just as God's Word put Noah and his family in the ark. How many of you see that? Hello? Kind of, sort of, maybe? How many of you are saying, Pastor, you're really confusing me? Uh, I hope we don't have any of those here tonight. Uh, you see, what, what we're trying to do here as we go through this is, if you take the front half of your lesson here, Every doctrine that we believe and practice is affected. You see, uh, one of the arguments that has always been leveled against dispensationalism is that you believe that you get saved different ways in different dispensations. And I want to challenge you that true dispensationalism, how we use it as a method of Bible study, teaches... There's only one method of salvation. 
It is by grace through faith. But living faith always produces living works in response to God's revelation. You know what? Noah did not have blueprints to build the ark. God told him what to do, and what God told him is recorded by Moses uh, over, uh, uh, let's see, that would have been from 2200, about 800 years later. It is recorded by Moses in the Bible, the conversation. And, of course, we go to our New Testament and we read that all Scripture is given how? By inspiration of God. It says, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, we see God superintending His Word and keeping it and preserving it. We'll get to that in a minute. But it is grace through faith. Adam and Eve had to accept the clothes that God made. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen a living animal killed and then uh, field dressed and then removed and put on the stove and cooked all in the same time? I mean, uh, uh, that... uh, I've always said, you know, if we want to help solve the violence that is in our society today, instead of giving our kids video games, we should take them out hunting and then make them field dress a little squirrel or a rabbit or some nice little animal that they have shot. And after they do that, 90%, 9 out of 10 kids would be so sick they'd never touch a gun, never do anything again. Uh, uh, most of people in this room are looking at me like, oh, pastor, you really wouldn't make me do that. But uh, it would solve a lot of problems. Adam and Eve had never physically seen death. And then not only did they see God kill these animals, take the life from them, he, they saw God remove the skins from them, and, and, and I'm sure that God did this very quickly as he tanned or prepared the hides and and made them coats and coverings for their bodies and then burned the bodies of the animals on an altar. That's that's not like roasting uh, game over an open fire. Uh, That that would be a completely different story, watching this thing. And, And yet, grace... Through faith. That's why Abel, following the example of his parents, brought a lamb. And Cain refused. And from that point, we see mankind corrupting himself to the point that God brought a flood. How did Abraham express faith in God? You know, if you read Hebrews chapter 11... It gives us everything right in order now, doesn't it? Abraham had to leave his family and travel to a land, and he lived in a land that was not his. In fact, when Abraham physically died, the only part of the land of promise that actually belonged to him was the cave of Machpelah, where Sarah had already been buried and where 
Abraham would be buried. Yet, who buried him? Ishmael, the son of the law, the son of his own and Sarah's contrivance, and Isaac, the son of the promise. You know what? The Bible tells us that Sarah had faith in that when she was 90 years old, she received strength and conceived a child and bore that child. I'll I'll tell you what, that one just blows my mind. Uh, At 89 years old, to finally fulfill the promise. Don't tell me Sarah was not a woman of great faith. Amen? And we move on. How did the children of Israel express their faith in the land of Egypt? Well, I'll tell you what. They didn't at first. Now, did they? They said, God didn't send you, and Moses did the signs, and then Pharaoh turned up the heat, and they turned their back on on Moses and said, why are you trying to kill us? And then God destroyed the land of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, speaks to them in an audible voice from Mount Sinai, and they make a golden calf while Moses is up there getting the laws of God. And before we're too hard on the children of Israel, let's get out the mirror. And how many of us see ourselves in the actions of Israel. If there is one thing a dispensational approach to the Scripture emphasizes, is God's patience with disobedient servants. Amen? And so, we have one salvation. Uh, I've actually met people say, well, they were, the people of Israel were saved by keeping the law. Well, uh, and my question always, well, what happened to Daniel? If we understand the Scriptures correctly, and I don't think people will argue this point, Daniel couldn't have been much more than 12 or 13 when he was carried to the land of Babylon. He was made a servant uh, of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He continued 70 years uh, through the Babylonian Empire and into the first Uh, several kings of the Persian Empire after them. Daniel died in the land of his captivity. He never got to go back to Israel. Daniel never saw the temple with his eyes. Never did he offer one sacrifice according to the law. Now, Zerubbabel did. Uh, the uh, Ezra did, others that returned. Daniel was uh, long dead by the time Nehemiah and, and Ezra got to the land of Israel. So, how did Daniel go to heaven if it was keeping the law? You expressed faith in God. And God saved you because you believed in God. Amen? The same way you and I get saved. Don't let people take apart our Bible. Amen? You see, one way of salvation, grace through faith, faith always produces, living faith produces living works in response to God's revelation. Now we've just put the whole Bible on one continuous plane of unfolding God's plan of Redemption. 
How are they going to be saved during the tribulation period? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How are they going to be saved during the millennial kingdom period? Uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Are they going to offer sacrifices during the millennial kingdom? As far as we know, uh, Ezekiel's temple has yet to be built. And it, it would appear that that will be the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. That is the simplest understanding of that because God talks about a purified priesthood and he talks about pure sacrifices and and yet those sacrifices, unlike the ones offered in the temple up until the time of Jesus Christ, will look back and teach us about what Jesus Christ did. You know, if you really want to understand how horrible sin is, stop and think of all of the animals that had to die to fulfill the law of God. All of those centuries, uh, millennia, before Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the sacrifice himself. If you want to understand just a little bit about how horrible sin is. Uh, The Bible says God has no delight. I've had people criticize and say, well, the Bible is full of cruelty to animals. And of course, you know what the answer is to that now, don't you? Uh, Why do all the people who are so upset about cruelty to animals enjoy murdering animals? little children. Uh, You know, God did this in such a way to teach the lesson on very serious terms without injuring one human being. God believes in human life. Amen? And so, the, the doctrine of the Word of God. That's one of the reasons I printed this up. You can see that God gave His Word In steps, we call it a progressive revelation. Anyone who believes in the Bible believes in a progressive revelation because God didn't give it to us all at one time. Uh, You ask questions like, why did God tell uh, Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him uh, as a living sacrifice to stop him at the last moment? And yet, it is the New Testament that gives us the answer to that, is it not? God wanted Abraham to understand what God would do to forgive our sins. If he told Abraham the whole thing, the end from the beginning, would Abraham have gone through all of the trauma that he went through thinking about killing his son and burning his body to ashes and receiving his son resurrected, as the Bible said, it would have taken the entire edge off of the lesson, would it not? And yet God wanted Abraham to uh, burn that lesson into his heart and soul. And so for three days, as Abraham rose up the next morning and traveled from Hebron up to Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, and fulfilled this sacrifice according to God's uh, direction. And I I like to believe, I I don't think I'm stretching the Scripture here, that we have a man that's 
113 to 116 years old, dealing with a young teenager, uh, I think Isaac cooperated willingly. Because Abraham explained to Isaac what was going to happen. And the Bible tells us that Isaac was a man of faith. Amen? And so, as we look through this, we understand that God gave His Word and that there is no need for new revelation. You know, this is one of the things that everybody runs around today. They're looking for something new. They're, they're talking about, uh, well, God gave me brand new revelation. Well, we have from creation to eternity future right here in our Bible. What, what more do you want? And, uh, well, I, I just wish God would speak to me from heaven. How many of you have read Second Peter chapter 1? Uh, Peter said, I heard God speak from heaven twice, but what? We have a more sure word of prophecy. I have been through this material so many times over the years, but really helping community put put their doctrinal statement together is, is help clarify some things, actually. Help me see some things, you know. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus promised that we would have a pure word of God. Amen? In Psalm chapter 12, David, writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit, said we would have the words of the Lord are pure words. He will keep them from this generation forever, that they are as silver tried in a furnace of earth, and we've been through this, that that's not the typical way that you purify silver. Uh, the author was using the historical context of his knowledge of working with metal. A, a furnace of earth was how you try gold. Because silver, in and of itself, normally was not precious enough to merit the building of a furnace of earth. But gold certainly was. When you put 10 pounds of gold into a furnace and 100 pounds of ore, you got 10 pounds of gold out. When you did the same thing with silver, you would use a fining pot because if you lost a couple of ounces of silver in the refining process as it oxidized with the oxygen in the atmosphere, it was not a big deal. Now, I want to challenge you. I want you to think about this. God said he would keep his words pure. Jesus reiterated that during his earthly ministry. Here we stand today and the bulk of modern scholarship tells us that we have an impure word, a word full of errors and transmittals and things that people put in there. And so I'm just going to ask the question that faith demands that we ask. If Jesus was telling the truth and of course we have no questions as to whether Jesus was telling the truth or not. So, as Jesus made that statement of truth, where am I going to find God's Word today in the English language? Tell you what, you only got one choice. Because every other translation in the English language is built on the premise... That we've lost God's Word, 
And we found it in garbage cans and miscellaneous documents that don't even agree with each other. And it has to be collated and subject to the scholarship of man to find God's Word. This is the only translation in English that isn't like that. So where are we going to find God's Word? You see, reason can only take you so far. Dispensationalism is a reasoning process. It is a method of Bible study. It can only take you so far. But where will faith take you? Well, that's how I got saved. Amen? That's how I believe God's Word. That's why we assemble in obedience to God's Word in the church. And we'll move on to that in a few minutes. But if you'll take your color chart here, we can see each preceding dispensation and how God added to this. And we have in dispensation number three, the seasons coming into being and human government and men taking responsibility and God making a covenant or a promise uh, with man. Do we still have rainbows? Yes, we do. Why? Because God promised that they would be there as Noah got off the ark. Amen. Do we see um, human government? Yeah, that's one of our biggest problems today is human government and the people who are in charge, is it not? And it didn't take very long for a guy named Nimrod to come along and pervert the God's plan for human government and society. Uh Yet these things continue to this day. We have the promises that were given to Abraham. By the way, tithing is mentioned here in the dispensation of promise. It was something that was done. And should we tithe today? I've had people say, well, tithing's under the law. Well... Actually, Moses was before the law, now wasn't he? And isn't it a wonderful thing that God has chosen only 10%? Shouldn't, does he not deserve 100%? And yet he's given us a way that we can honor him in our giving. And God says, I am pleased. And the thing I, I love about tithing is it makes every member in the church equal. If your income is $100 a week and you put in $10 a week in the offering plate, you are giving the same amount as the person who makes $10,000 a week and puts in $1,000 a week. Now, I'll promise you we got a lot more of the hundreds than we do of the ten, uh, the ten thousands. Amen? Uh, but God takes those little bits and He blesses and uses them. That's Jacob. Where did Jacob get the idea? He said, surely I will give the tenth unto thee. Where did that come from? You know, God doesn't explain everything in the Bible because everything doesn't need explaining. Abraham who had already given tithes to Melchizedek, had either told Jacob personally, or Jacob had heard that that's what Abraham had done. And Jacob 
took that promise and said, listen, if, if that's what you want, God, I'll give it to you. Now, was God impressed because Jacob promised a tithe? No. Jacob had a lot of learning to do, didn't he? And it really wasn't until he was an old man and he saw the carts coming back from Egypt and the promise that his son uh, Joseph was still alive. It says his heart revived. You know, don't, don't be like Jacob. Stubborn all the way to the end of your life. Fighting God every step of the way. Just serve God. Amen? And so we, we can see that None of these things contradict each other. God didn't change his mind here. He didn't uh, say, well, it's okay to do this now and it's not okay to do that uh, later. God fulfilled things in order and once it's fulfilled, uh, uh, we can take each passage of the Bible with a simple understanding of the words. It gives us an ability to keep the Bible in its context, its grammatical context. Look at the words. Words are important. Uh, they're not important today. Uh, today, people say all kinds of things. Uh, it, it still floors me. I remember hearing Brother Clayton and uh, other men talk about how, Brother Clayton talk about how his dad would go in and this would have been in the uh, 1930s, maybe the early 40s, and borrow enough money to buy the seed and any equipment that he would need in his farm. And the only thing he would do was shake hands with the bank manager. And the guy would write him out a check for $1,000, a whole year's income. Could you do that today? Not without 50 pages of detailed things and then it, nothing means anything anymore because you can always hire a lawyer and change the words, right? Uh, and, and so we, we continue. If you want to understand why this is going on in our society today, is because if the devil can devalue the meaning of words... He devalues our understanding of the Word of God. This is why I'm against slang. I mean, every once in a while I'll stick an ink in there just to um, see how many people smile and are listening to what I'm saying. But we, we have people who claim to speak English that do not even communicate in the language. They, they have their own little dialect, their own special words they use, and they don't say anything. The only thing you can understand that a rapper saying is cuss words. Uh, at least that's the way it works for me. And, you know, uh, I like what I read in the Blue Jacket Manual from World War II. Uh, an officer was walking by and two seamen were having an argument and they were cursing each other. And... Uh, the captain came by and he wrote both men up. He said he wrote the first man up for cursing his fellow sailor. He wrote the second sailor up because he didn't object to it. Therefore, some of it had to have been true and that's beyond the character of a sailor. Uh, 
where, where is that in our modern day society? We put money, we pay for music to, list, to have somebody call us names that are so vulgar that even the drunken sailors of, of the, the past generation would be embarrassed to speak in public in mixed company. I, I don't get it. You know, if we will let the words of God guide us, it will protect us from that kind of foolishness. Because God is concerned with His words. Are, are you seeing the applications of everything that we've put together here over the last eight, eight weeks here? And, and this is what we're working through here. And, and we keep it in the context of its grammar, of its history, of its culture, but more importantly than any of those, we keep it in the biblical context, the context of the Bible. Why is Jesus called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Because Abel offered a lamb on the altar. God reiterated that and proved that when Noah got off the ark because a lamb is a clean animal versus an unclean animal. And then the law uh, did all of those regulations and everything here. Our, our faith remains an objective faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in His words. How many of you have ever read something in the Bible and you said, I just don't feel right about that? Well, I think all of us have at one time or another, haven't we? But here's the point. Is God's words more important than how I feel about them? Can we say amen to that? You see, the ultimate point is our faith is not subject to how I feel. My understanding of God, there are some terrible things that happen in the Bible. And, and people go and they say, well, God told them to kill all the Canaanites to commit genocide. That's evil. Uh, excuse me, but if I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt or God the benefit of the doubt, guess who gets the benefit of the doubt? God does. Amen? I don't claim to understand everything in the Bible. But I will tell you this, God's judgment is real and God's judgment is terrible. And if we don't obey God's words, we're going to be under God's judgment. And by the way, God put that interdict upon the entire land of Canaan. And yet Rahab the harlot from Jericho we might honestly say the basest of the base Canaanites was added to Israel and even put into the line of the coming Messiah. Is that not a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness and God's love for lost mankind? How about the Gibeonites? An entire city was brought in and they became servants in the temple to the point to where when Ezra was returning to the land, 
he would not return to the land until he had enough of the Gibeonites, the servants, there to keep the temple running because of their need and the place that they had established themselves. These were Canaanites. You see, we read in the Word of God, even as we understand God's judgment and harsh things, we still see God's love. That God's Word protects us from private interpretation. Now, what we mean by that is uh, individuals coming up with their own understanding of the Word of God. Uh, Harold Camping was one of my favorites uh, because he was just so good at being absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he talked about, uh, you see, there were 153 fish in the net, and that's the number of nations in the earth. Well, I want to tell you, we have 143 languages in Astoria alone, over 250 in New York City. That blows his theory right out of the water right there now, doesn't it? I mean, people do all kinds of crazy stuff to the Word of God. Our faith remains objective. It's not uh, limited to the understanding of one man. It protects us from false approaches to the Bible. How many of you remember that book, The Bible Code? Uh, This was 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, you know, that guy needs something. Uh, He needs to believe the Bible rather than doing what he did to the Bible. Amen? And... uh, uh, But there are no hidden meanings. There are no non-literal meanings. This is one of the reasons why, you know, people take the the letters to the churches and they say, well, those are church ages. And we are in the Laodicean age and they use that as an excuse not to be fervent in their faith to God. Now, can you find a reason for us in the Bible anywhere, any verse that allows the servants of Jesus Christ, to be less than faithful to God. You can't find it. The other problem is, every person I have met that says that comes up with a different set of dates of the ages. You know, as we go through these dispensations, it's pretty easy to see the lines that delineate between the dispensations And it's easy to see the new judgment and and the new revelation that God gives. And and it's very simple there. And we can refuse the traditions of man based upon the words of God. Here's one that we need to get a hold of. You see, we live in a world where everybody wants to experience everything. You know what? I don't need experience. I need God's Word. I can take God's Word over the experience of mankind. This is the great problem with the charismatic movement. They say, well, you've got to be able to prove that you're saved. No, the Bible proves that I'm saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And I've had many people over the years say, well, I'm just not really sure how sincere I was when I did that. Don't fall into that trap. Here's the question. Were you honest? Or were you lying? You know, God is not looking for an excuse to keep you out of heaven. 
He is looking for a reason to get you out of hell. Amen? And if you will obey his word, you have God's word. That's where our faith needs to be. It's an objective faith in the words of God. And we can trust him. And it keeps us from the isms and the schisms and all of these new things that come along. I mean, every every time uh, we turn around, uh, there was a... Uh, I've done my best as the pastor of this church in the years that we've been together here to keep personalities out of our teaching. Um, I, I've not explained to you that in the independent Baptist movement there have been different leaders. In fact, uh, we, we used to get a publication here years ago for quite a little while and uh, called The Sword of the Lord and then it got off on some things and he said, you know what? We're just not going to present personalities here. We're going to keep... That's one of the things I love about the Global Independent Baptist Times. It's not a personality-driven publication. It's a Bible-driven publication. It's all about your church. It's all about what goes on in other churches. So we can know and understand that we're not the only ones here. You see... I don't know how many times over the years people have said to me, well, the Bible's just full of contradictions. Oh, really? Show me one. Because I only find agreement in the Word of God. And a dispensational approach helps us to do that. The doctrine of the church. We don't replace Israel. We're not in conflict or competition with them. We can see... The work of the Lord Jesus Christ reaching out into this world through His body, which is the local church. The presence of Jesus in this world is through His church. That's how we serve Him. And we don't need to seek for anything new. We cannot go back. Uh, I've met many people over the years that say, well, listen, why why can't we just go back and, and keep the Passover as Israel did? Because you're not Jewish, that's why. I'm not Jewish. I live the Passover every day because it's the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat in heaven, which I learned from the law that makes God pass over the judgment for my sins And I can live in Jesus Christ as my Passover each and every day. Every day is a Sabbath to me because I'm resting from my works. But I'll tell you what. Jesus will keep you busy if you let him. Amen. Uh, He will have you working. Uh, That is just something there. Uh, We do not need... To prepare for Christ's kingdom. The Bible says Jesus is going to do that. We need to make the church everything it ought to be. That's where our effort has to be. You know, this is one of the issues that I've had over the years with many people. Is they'll come into New York City. In fact, I did it before we started the church. And we just pass out tracts to everybody and there is no church. In fact... Uh, I remember one time we were passing out tracts and several weeks later, Brother Thompson gets a call from some guy at the Metropolitan Life Building in, in Manhattan 
who had read one of the tracts and trusted the Lord, and I don't think we ever got him into a church. And that's a tragedy. Brother Thompson did send him a Bible and talk to him on the phone on several occasions. But I'll tell you what we need to do is our work needs to be centered around the church. Our missionaries are centered around church planting. This is all in the Bible. This gives us a focus for our effort. And if we'll just pick up the Bible, it doesn't take you long to see how ridiculous the imitation of the Roman Catholic Church is compared to what's in this book called the Bible. Uh, It doesn't take you very long to understand this purpose-driven movement is is a hideous uh, blasphemy against the truth of the local church. You see, the Bible does that for us. Uh, we have people out there saying, well, you know, the church and the family really don't get along with each other. Really? Uh, I think my family history disproves that rather seriously. Uh And I will tell you, we follow the Bible. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament as well as the Old the function of each member of the family. Husbands, wives, children. Amen? And you'll only find your greatest ability to fulfill those roles as you serve Jesus Christ under the local church. There's no conflict at all. Uh, we've, I, I, we've met people who, uh, uh, I don't know, if anybody ever seen a book by Mike and Debbie Pearl, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you have that book, throw it away. Be, do, do yourself a favor. Uh, these people have no idea what it is to raise children. They're not wrong about everything. They're not quite as bad as uh, Harold Camping, but uh, they're close. Listen, if you want to know how to raise your children, raise them in the church. Your children will love what you love as parents. I'll tell you one of the reasons I love the church is my dad loved the church. I grew up graphite doors and, and taking the squeaks out of the doors and killing mice and crickets in the church building so we could have school there during the week and not get interrupted and Uh, I remember going with my dad to do those things, and wow. Uh, Now we've built buildings and all kinds of things now, just continuing on and passing it to the next generation. Amen, Philip? And and so the, the simple truth is, these people who want to have family churches or their own kind of churches are in direct conflict with the Bible. We can follow the Scriptures, dispensational Bible study, and our eschatology, our understanding of the end times. If we will just pay attention as to how God fulfilled prophecies that were yet to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, we can see how God will fulfill prophecies that are yet to be unfulfilled. John the Baptist was Elijah, but was John the Baptist Elijah? No. He was a completely different person, wasn't he? 
And yet Jesus and Matthew, the references are there. Matthew 17, he said, If you will receive it, this is Elias, which is come. And they've done unto him. And it says the disciples then understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, who showed up? The real Elijah from the Old Testament. He was still his own person. God is able to fulfill his prophecies his way. You know, people are trying to say that uh, the Antichrist is going to be uh, a reincarnated Judas Iscariot. Well, Malachi said that Elijah would come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist fulfilled that prophecy. So we believe the Antichrist is a real person. Chances are he is alive today. We don't know who he is. And we don't need to know who he is. Amen? The events of the book of Revelation are real. But they are related to us through the eyes of a first century servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, Could some of the things that John described in the book of Revelation be nuclear war and all of that? Absolutely could be explained that way. But does that mean that's what God is going to do? Absolutely not. We're going to just trust God to fulfill it His way. Amen? If you stop and think about it, 50 years ago, the book of Revelation was mostly a mystery. Now, there is nothing that happens in the book of Revelation that is not within the realm of human understanding. How it could happen. You know what that ought to tell us? We are knocking on the door. We better be ready for Jesus to come back. That's where our emphasis needs to be. You see, as we try to study the Bible, we want to understand that God in His goodness and His love did not give us everything at one time. He gave bits and pieces over the years. And yet every part of this is just another step closer. And in the kingdom, we will have Israel as Israel. The church is the church. We will have tribulation saints that are there. And by the way, if the tribulation saints, if the church was there during the tribulation, then why are the tribulation saints given a special place? Because they should be part of the church now, shouldn't they? But if the church isn't there during the tribulation, then they couldn't be part of the church, could they? You see how simple that is? It gives us a step-by-step, complete understanding of the counsel of God. And these groups are there serving Christ exactly the same way. Israel, kings and priests. The disciples of Jesus Christ are reigning over the twelve tribes of Israel. And yet they're the apostles of the Lamb. Amen? And yet the church is there. The tribulation saints are there. They all have access to the new Jerusalem. Those that get saved that are still living as human beings on this planet and get saved during the millennial kingdom we'll have the same access. And then God brings down the curtain of time 
and we enter eternity future. And somebody says, what's that going to be like? How about you work on getting there first? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your emphasis where God puts his emphasis. I know we haven't read a lot of scripture tonight, but I, I want to, what I'm trying to do tonight is paint the big picture if I can. Is allow you to see. And see, only a dispensational approach to the Bible gives us this picture. Any other theological system of understanding the scriptures, you know, and I've had people say, well, I don't believe in dispensationalism. I, I, I just, I just think that God gives his word. Okay. Is the kingdom going to be different than right now? Well, of course it is. Uh, well, you just are a dispensationalist, whether you want to be or not, because God does do things differently. The Bible shows us that. And yet, each step teaches us a little more about God. How would we understand why Jesus needed to die on the cross if it weren't for the law? Hello? How would we understand the redeeming work of Jesus, sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, if it weren't for the laws regarding the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus? The Bible gives us as clear a picture of God and his work as we can have as human beings. Is every question, every verse answered? No. But before you try to answer every question and every verse, how about you start doing the things the Bible tells you to do? And that will put it in perspective always. Because our religion is not a theological concept. It is a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to follow you. Uh, and Lord, that, that we would take some time to think about these things, to look at the big picture of the grand scheme of God's love and how he has moved us from Adam and Eve in the garden to the point in the millennial kingdom where Death and hell will be conquered and God will be all in all. Lord, we thank you for making these things plain to us in your word. But Lord, our greatest prayer is that you would make us faithful to the things in your word that we can do and how we can serve you day by day. Help us to be faithful, Lord, that we may bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, if we need to come and pray, the altar's open.